Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 32. Title this message, Every Member a Minister. Just to give you a little recap of what we've kind of looked at so far, Nehemiah had been praying planning and waiting for seven months. For the first four months, he didn't do anything except pray, plan, and wait. And then all of a sudden, the king realized he was sad in his presence. He's like, dude, what's up? And he shares his heart and the plan, and he gives him permission to go. They take this 800-mile journey to Jerusalem, and then he's there for three days. And on the third night, he goes around and investigates the walls and observes them. And then on the fourth day, we looked at last week, he told the people about the problem. Look at chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Nehemiah says, Then I said to them, You see the disaster that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in waste, and its gates and its uh, gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's words, which he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise and build. Then they set their hand to this good work. The work that they set their hands to is seen throughout the whole entire chapter of chapter 3. And in chapter 3, we see a detailed account of Nehemiah recording the way they rebuilt the gates and the walls surrounding Jerusalem. It started at the Sheep Gate and went counterclockwise all the way around, ending up back at the Sheep Gate. Now, if you glance at this chapter, you're going to see a bunch of names highlighted and um, presented in front of us. And it could seem it's like it's boring because it's a bunch of names that we have a hard time pronouncing that we don't know. And if I'm honest with you, anytime I see a big chunk of names in the Bible, I skip it. Because I heard it one time, someone gave me permission, and I was like, all right, I'm going to skip it. And I do. So in Numbers chapters 1 and 2, it's a list of names. I skip it. If you go to First Chronicles like chapters 1 through 9, I skip it. There's some good chunks in there, though. But it's a list of names, right? And it can seem boring to us. But we shouldn't skip this here. Because below the surface, there is gold and diamonds to be found. Treasure to be found, truth to ponder, practical principles to apply to our lives. But it requires some digging. So if you were to read this on your own, you'd be kind of like scratching your head or like, all right, I'm going to move on to the next thing. But we are going to highlight several things in this chapter, and we're actually going to spend two weeks in this chapter because there's so many things in this chapter I can't highlight in one sitting. Now, I'm not going to read every verse of this chapter because that would put you to sleep. (laughs) So I would encourage you, you read it on your own. What I'm going to do is highlight some verses, highlight some main themes throughout this chapter, and kind of share what the Lord's kind of put on my heart. The first thing is there are 38 names mentioned in this chapter, 38 names that are recorded, 38 different people that are mentioned here. But the question with that, 
what are the reasons all these names are recorded? Why is there 38 names recorded in this portion of Scripture? And why is it important? What do you guys think? In verse 1, it says, Then, however you pronounce that, Elishabah, the high priest, rose and the brethren, uh, priest, and they built the sheep gate, and they consecrated it and hung its doors, and they built the tower of hundred, and consecrated it and the tower of Hanadel. And then it goes through a bunch of different other names I can't pronounce. <laughs> so what are the reasons these names are important? What do you guys think? If you're taking notes, I would write this one first. First, their work mattered to the Lord. Every single name is recorded here because it mattered to God. He forever wrote their names down in his words so that generations to come would know who did this work. Can you imagine if you were one of those Jews around the wall who was building, who was sweating day and night, who was putting forth all this energy and effort into rebuilding that portion of the wall. And God puts your name down in his word permanently because he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Permanently recorded. Like the seven churches in Revelation, Jesus said to each one of them, he says, I know your work. Every single one of them. That speaks of, seven speaks of the number of perfection, God's perfect knowledge. He knows every detail that these men and women in this chapter did. He also knows everything you and I do for him. See, when serving the Lord in the church, there are times where people, you might feel like people don't notice what you do. Don't notice what I do. We will put forth this time, energy, and effort into it, but there's no reciprocation back. And when we feel like we're putting forth this effort and no one's kind of complimenting us, we got to guard our hearts. Because if we are doing it to be seen by people, to hear compliments by people, that is the wrong motive for serving the Lord for loving people, for doing worship, for greeting. So here's a question we need to ask ourselves. Are we serving in kids' ministry or junior high ministry to be seen by people so that we can hear other people say, oh, Josh, good job, and they can pat you on the back. Good job for doing that. Are we serving in different aspects of ministry because our parents are forcing us other times, many of you, your school's required. So are you serving in an area because you need hours? Or are we serving because we love God? We love his people. And we will do anything, big or small, to show him our appreciation. Jesus says, if you give a cup of cold water to somebody in my name, it's as if you're doing it to Jesus himself. That if we pictured everybody like that, the way of serving would change. And the men and women here in this portion of Scripture, they did it unto God. The priests in verse 1, they did it as a sacred thing to the Lord. 
See, God recognizes your work that other people don't. He sees our work. He sees the people repairing the walls, the, the, the people in Revelation and the churches there. He sees all the his children across the world in different churches and the work they do. God has a detailed list of the things in, that you and I do for him. I like that because here actually in chapter three, it's because of chapter three and the details recorded in chapter three, they were able to uncover a lot of these areas in Jerusalem. Nehemiah's attention to detail is amazing here, but it just proves God's attention to detail. And God's attention to the details surrounding your life, he notices Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10 says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. I love this verse. Because God sees the things that you do when nobody else does. He sees when you're getting into his word in the private quietness in your room. He sees you listening to worship music. But notice, he says, for his name. We can start off doing ministry and serving with the right heart and the right motive, doing it as unto the Lord. But as time goes on, our motives can actually change if we're not careful. As we serve people, they might compliment us, saying that we're doing a good job. And if we're not careful, we will want to hear that more and more. We will want to hear the praises of men. Because after all, who doesn't like to hear your name on somebody else's lips in a good way? Oh, did you see Isaac and the things he did? Did you see Ava and those things she did? We like to hear our name on other people's lips. And if that sinks down into our hearts, it can change our motive from doing it for God, then we'll start doing it for other people. And the people in this passage did it as unto the Lord. May that be our motive behind all of our actions, behind the schoolwork that we do, the chores that our parents assign us. May it to be to be, please God and to love him. And if we do things with the wrong motives, the work's going to be revealed in the end. Write this verse down, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. Paul the apostle says, For no one can lay a foundation other than the one we have, we have Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, 
but as some barely escaping through the wall of flames. In other words, this is talking about the motives behind our actions. Is it going to have any substance or value? Notice the different materials, gold, silver, jewels. When you put those through the fire, they'll still come through. But wood, hay, and straw burn up instantly. And the wood, hay, and straw are the things that we do to be seen by other people, to get recognition. But when we do it as unto the Lord, that actually has substance, that has value. And the Lord is pleased with that. I want to also make something clear. When it says on the day of judgment, this is not referring to if you are going to be saved or not. This is what we refer to as believers, the Bema seat. And the Bema seat is actually this podium. You know, like where the Olympic athletes step up for third place, second place, and first place, and they receive the rewards? That's the idea of the Bema seat here. They step up, and we're going to stand before God, and he's going to ask us a question. He's going to say, what do you do with Jesus? What do you do with the gospel message I gave you? What did you do with the resources? What did you do with my love? What did you do with my spirit? And that's what's going to be judged on that day, if we're going to receive a reward or not. And the thing about when we receive a reward this reward's actually going to be cast back down at the feet of Jesus because everything we do in this life can't be done outside of Christ. The gifts and the abilities we have, the creativity, if you guys are good at math, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. So in the very end, we're going to receive a reward, a crown. And in Revelation chapter 4 or 5, I believe, you see the, the elders around the throne and they cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus. Because this was done for Jesus. It was all for the Lord. So God recognizes the work that you put in. If you participate in a VBS play, if you help out with kids' ministry and their worship, He sees the motives of our heart, He sees the work that we put in, even the hours of practice that others don't see. Secondly, the names are recorded because. Their work mattered to Nehemiah. What mattered to God mattered to Nehemiah. And that should be true for us. What matters to the Lord should matter to us. If the gospel matters to Jesus, it should matter to us. If his church matters to the Lord, it should matter to us. And the work that these people did, it mattered to him. It always starts with the Lord. It was a concern on God's heart, the people of uh, Israel, the Jews in the place. But it became a concern on Nehemiah's heart. Nehemiah recognized the accomplishments of each worker here. Now, I want you to picture, you guys saw maybe the map in uh, the beginning of the PowerPoint, right? Of Jerusalem. Picture that in ruins. And all of a sudden, people are all working around it. 38 people working together. And Nehemiah is going, walking around, climbing over the, the stubble and the rubble, over the ruins. And he's getting to know each and every person because he has to know their names in order to record their names. So he goes up to each person and shakes their hand and says, hey, what's your name? And he's like, I'm this person. 
What's your name? I'm this person. I'm this person. He goes around the wall and gets familiar with each and every person that's working there. And he documents the part of the wall that they worked on. Third, everyone was involved in the work. All these names are recorded because everyone was getting involved in the work. All types of people were involved in the work of the Lord. From the poor to the rich, from men to women, from married to single, from parents to kids. Look at this list really quick. You have priests, leaders, women, goldsmiths, perfumers, bachelors, city guard, and merchants. All working together. All have different backgrounds. All have different expertise. Yet they decided, you know what, this work is far more important. It didn't matter their expertise or their lack of. They all worked together to rebuild the walls because there was this one vision. There was this one goal. Let us rebuild the walls to bring honor and glory back to God so that we stop being in shame and a reproach or disgraced and so that God's name can be exalted and glorified. I like this. You know why? Because there's so many different types of people in God's work today. If you actually just look at this campus, there's so many different people that God has called here to Chino Valley to use. Dave Bustamante, he was a lawyer making good money. And the Lord says, no, I want you to leave that and come work for our church. John Mata, he was a drug dealer, <laughs> and he's working here on staff, not dealing drugs, dealing the gospel. <laughs> Each one of us, different. I think um, Jared, he was going to be a teacher, and he worked at um, the Macaroni Grill. So many different people all coming together to do the work of the Lord. And see, Nehemiah was a genius God gave him the gift and the ability to do administration work. And he divided the work into 42 different groups because he didn't believe in just one man should do it all. There must be leadership, but every one of the Lord's people must have a part in the Lord's work. Every one of God's people should have a part in the Lord's work. So the question is, what do you think is your part in God's work? What does the Lord want you to do with him, for him, by his side? Where does God want you to get involved? Maybe some of you are already involved, and the Lord's saying, hey, stay where you're at. You're doing a good job. I see it. I'm with you. Others, he might be like, I want to switch things up. I want you to pull back for a season. I want you to serve somewhere else. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12 says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work work and build the church in the body of Christ. 
that actually tells you my job description. My job is to give you the resources, the information, to help empower you to do works of service and to take God's work and live it out. And that's why I get so excited when I see you guys worship. That's why I get blessed when I see you guys greeting at the door, doing CG. Favorite part of VBS is teaching sixth grade and also watching you guys love on the, the students and the kids. Because that's you're slowly getting what God wants you to get. There's this work out there. There's people that are dying without Jesus. And he wants to use you and I to bring the gospel message to different portions. Because each person worked on a different part of the wall. Each of us are going to work on a different part that the Lord wants us to work on. And we shouldn't compare our work to somebody else's work. Pastor David says this, every member a minister. Every member a minister. What that means is every person in this church should be a servant. The word minister literally just means servant in the Greek. So when we, when we refer to the staff ministers, which is myself, Dustin, and others, we're staff servants. Let me put on a towel because we're here to serve you each and every week, constantly. You, every single one of you, are, is a member of this church, a member of junior high, and you ought to serve. This is how God designed it. And we as the leaders, we want to help you find your place in the Lord's work and equip you to do that work. So if you don't know your giftings, if you don't know where you ought to start, come talk to one of us. I have some questions, and I want to see what some of your interests are. What's, what are some of your giftings? Sometimes the Lord calls us to areas that we are weak in. I never thought when I was in junior high, because I was dyslexic, I was a terrible reader, and all these things that I would be teaching junior high because I felt like all of my limitations hindered me in that process. But the Lord says, no, those very things that hindered you actually qualify you because I'm going to be strong in your weakness. God equips those who are called, and he's calling us to serve, and as we respond to him, he's going to give us the ability and the things that we need. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5 says, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. We could have a couple toes in this room, a couple fingers, or an ear, an eye. We are all different parts of the body of Christ. It's funny because Paul goes into kind of detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and kind of makes up a funny case. If the, eye, if the ear would rebel, he goes, dude, I don't need the rest of the head and the ear just pops off. Or if the foot would ever say to the hand, I don't need you and just walks off or hobbles off. The body doesn't do that. Each part of our body has a function. Each ligament each aspect. The Lord wants to use all of us. And the question is, are you living out the function God has created you for? If you haven't yet, it's okay, you got time. You're in junior high. 
but be sensitive because the Lord can use you at a young age. I think he wants to use you to stir up some of your parents. I don't think that, I know that. The Lord wants to use you to ignite a fire in other people's lives. Not to condemn them, but as you live for Jesus, people are going to be stirred up by your life. This one commentator, Boyce, he said this, It is said that today the church, more than anything else, resembles a football game played in a large stadium. There are 80,000 spectators in the stand who badly need exercise, and there are 22 men on the field who badly need rest. That's the church today. Which one are you? Are you sitting in the chairs and in the pews just watching and not getting involved in the work? Or are you in the game ready to play, ready to serve? Did you know only 20% of the church actually runs everything? Only 20% here at Calvary Chapel Chino Valley actually serves. What, can you imagine if 100% of the junior high here would all serve? That would be an amazing blessing. Can you imagine if every single person on this campus started serving? We would run out of jobs to do, honestly. We'd be like, all right, we got to create some new ministries so people can help out here or help out there. There's actually several people that are involved in multiple ministries, kids' ministry, men's ministry, this ministry, because there's so few servants. There's a verse that Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest so that he would send out laborers into his harvest. My question is like, Lord, is that always going to be the case? Is there always going to be a lack of servants? And is that the case because you want to be strong in that small group? Like think about Gideon. Gideon had this massive army, and God's like, no, it's too big. He dwindled it down. No, it's too big. He dwindled it down. No, too big. And he finally had 300 men. That's all right. That's good. Maybe God is always going to have a small amount of servants in the church because it's through a small amount that God can do a lot. If the whole entire church started serving, I think we would start taking the glory for ourselves and away from God and say, oh, yeah, we did a good job instead of giving it back to the Lord. I want to return to the list. Check out this list, the goldsmiths. These were skilled craftsmen who used their hands to form delicate things, or even think about the perfumers. They could have said, oh, if I work construction, it's going to ruin my hands. I, I'm not going to do construction. They put that aside, and they're like, no, we're going to put our hands to the work. Look at the leaders. There was leaders that could have said, oh, we're above this. We'll supervise. We'll just watch. We'll delegate this to other people. No. There's like, in every single one of those verses, I think there's even more than that. Yeah, verses 9, 12, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. All those leaders got their hands involved. But I love verse 12, the women. Check this out. It says, and next to him, Suleiman, the son of Haloshel, leader of half of the district of Jerusalem, he and his daughters made repairs. That's so cool. This dad and his daughter said, hey, we're going to work 
And the girls were like, we want to help. And he's like, all right, get involved. And they were moving rocks. They were picking things up. This work of the Lord is not only just for guys. It's not just for girls. It's for all of us. The interesting thing is there's actually far more girl servants the majority of the time. Even for the junior high leaders here. There's always more girl leaders than guy leaders, which says, guys, we need to step it up and get involved too. But I love this because the whole family was involved in the ruins, in the work. They got involved. And it's so cool to see some of you and your whole entire family serving together, your mom, your dad, your siblings, you getting involved. Fourth, all these names are recorded because everyone worked together side by side. Everyone worked together side by side. The word next to him or next to them is mentioned 16 times. After them or him is mentioned 16 times. That is 32 times altogether. 32 times. That's, the idea is that there was no separation no separation in the wall. There was no gaps in the work. And this was something kind of significant to me because have you guys ever worked by yourself? It's hard to stay motive, right? motivated, right? Motivated? I hate working out by myself. I'll just like sit there like, oh, I dread it the whole time. And I'm kind of just like, Ugh. but when there's someone with me, I don't complain. Because it's like, all right, I got to work out with this person. And having somebody with you kind of pushes you, right? And so it's important to do the work together, side by side. There was no gaps in it. They saw each other. They were talking to each other. Who's working next to you? Who are you working with to accomplish the work of the Lord? See, the entire city was mobilized, and they worked together in harmony on specific parts of the wall. This wall was anywhere from a mile and a half to two miles and a half wide, or long, actually. It's a lot, though, because all these boulders and stuff, they fell down into the Kidron Valley, and they had to get them back up again. This was no easy feat, but this impossible task could have seemed overwhelming. When you actually divide it amongst everybody, everyone's like, all right, we got this. God gave Nehemiah this vision and says, let's go with this. And everyone got behind him. What is it the Lord wants you to do? What vision does God want you to get behind? What is he putting on your heart? Because I believe God can put desires on your heart in areas that he wants you to serve in. Pray about it and see what the Lord will do in your life. That you and your work will be recorded and remembered by the Lord. But make sure the motive's correct, doing it to God. Pastor David constantly kind of encourages at conferences and different things. There's this parable in the gospels called the parable of the talents. And the king or the master gives a talent, three talents to one guy, two talents to another guy, and then one talent to one other guy. And talent could be like some money. And he goes, I'm leaving, and I'll come back. And so he leaves. 
and the first guy doubles his account. He turns three into six. The second guy turns two into four. And then one guy took the one, and he goes, my master's evil and wicked. And he hid it under something to protect it. And he brings it out to his master. When his master comes back, he goes, look, I, you, you gave me this, and I kept it. And he's like, you wicked servant. <laughs> he's basically he says, you're lazy. Because of what I gave you, you did nothing with it. Where the two other guys, what God, this master gave them, they did something with it. And I love the word talent because God has given every single one of us different abilities and talents. What are you doing with it? Are you using it to serve the Lord and bring him glory? Because that is the highest function you can use your talent for. But be careful because talent doesn't just instantly mean blessing. Talent can actually destroy character. God's more concerned about your character than your talent. Submit yourself under his hand and under his authority, kind of like the people of Jerusalem who submitted to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah said, you guys go over here, you guys go over here, you go over here, you go over here, and let the Lord send you where he wants you to be. I'll encourage you guys, Read this passage, look at a map, and see the amount of gates that they built. If you even want to go deeper, look at the names and the meanings of each and every name. There is significance behind each and every gate in the way it's recorded, counterclockwise. There's a specific reason why God wanted it recorded that way. And there's a specific reason behind every gate, even the dung gate at the bottom. There's a reason behind that gate. And I think God wants to impact and show us what those are next week. But I would encourage you, read ahead.